Hello, welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi, and I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we're talking about chapter eight, Frustration. good it's been a whole day since i saw you last <laughs> i know i don't know what we're going to talk about in this section oh, we God. literally saw my plumbing maybe yeah. <laughs> oh yeah please update us nobody knows about this <laughs> we've just had a plumbing disaster in our flat apparently it's really badly done and we've all been having to like borrow our friends showers for the past couple of days it's great it's a whole situation that nobody needs to know about <laughs> well the flat did fill with water and it looked like somebody had been murdered in it sarah washed it beetroot in the kitchen sink and it backed up pink water into the bathtub that's all you need to know bloody hell but it's fine now i've had a shower at my own house so you're not blessed with my smell that's good times yeah i have not had a shower at my own house where the shower works so <laughs> stinky bitchy <laughs> Truly. But yeah, I mean, in terms of what we've been up to, I went to uh, meet my mentee for the first time. Faye's been very grown up and she's mentoring someone. I am, yeah. It's scary, but she seems really nice. So that's great. And then on Saturday night, you came over and we played board games and stuff. We did. I've had a very board gamey weekend. I've had a very wholesome weekend, actually. Yeah. Because I played board games last night as well. We played the bird game again. I bloody love it. My housemate got this game called Wingspan. And basically the aim is to just like collect cards with birds on and play them on this board in such a way to like accumulate points. But you get like, you can play birds, you can lay eggs, you can like steal all the different foods and you roll the food dice through a little like bird feeder shaped thing. It's really adorable and it's really pretty. Yeah, I want to play it. Very wholesome, very wholesome. And then also like I met my friend and went for like a big walk and like somehow ended up having a really wholesome Sunday without intending it whatsoever, which is really nice. I didn't leave the house on Sunday, but I did loads of stuff. Nice. And also watched a bunch of episodes of the new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is really good. It's a new season. I am not yes. up to date on it. Thing is, with, with Sunny, I actually prefer the later seasons to the older ones. I think that they've... Obviously, it's gotten... For me, it's gotten better with age because the, there's more, like, awareness in the world for certain issues. And they still, like... They're terrible, terrible people. Like, guys, listen, if you've watched it, you'll know they're hilariously horrendous people. That's the whole point of the show. But then in the newer ones, like when everyone's, because everyone now has started to become more like turned on to things in the world, like I suppose the whole gender question and everyone's more accepting in most parts of the world of like LGBTQ people, etc. And the way that they've moved with that, I actually quite like it because they have done it in a way where it's still true to the show, but you can tell that they've grown as, as people and as TV writers. And I really like that. But I, yeah, I'm liking this new season so far. It's good. Nice. There's like 10 episodes and we watched like six yesterday, so. <laughs> but yeah. What would your demon have been this weekend? Uh, okay. Um, Being as it's only been two yeah. days since we last recorded. <laughs> I am um, actually, I'm going to say something that I was trying to move away from what I've said before. So I always end up saying like animals are frantic or tired or whatever. And I'm going for this week. I'm going to be, oh, my demon is going to be a lioness. 
because I met my mentee and I re- I want to be like really protective of her and stuff. Oh, that's so, so yeah. nice. I know, right? Oh, you're so yeah, very wholesome one. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that a lot. I have said <laughs> my demon for the weekend because of my wholesome weekend of playing the bird board game would probably be a bird. Ask. Oh, I'm choosing like maybe a a great tit or a chaffinch. Yeah. Okay. I'm learning lots of bird names because of this board game, also, and I feel like it will expand my demon horizons. Also, Lola, great tit. I know, right? That's literally <laughs> the only reason. <laughs> oh my god! You know what I should have said my demon is that fucking dragon that I drew on Saturday. <laughs> I feel like that means we now have to share a picture of the dragon on the Instagram. <laughs> we were playing a game called Telestrations. If you've never played it, play it because it's amazing. Um, and it's basically you write down a word and then you draw that word. So you pass it on to the next person. They have to write what they think that you've drawn. And then the next person has to draw what you've written. So it's like you can see how it can get a bit out of control. Yeah. And I think one... Was it even dragon? I can't remember if the word was dragon or it not. It was. It definitely right. was. And I drew the best dragon that you've ever seen. It like it had chainsaws for wings. Oh my god! I'll post. We'll post a picture. I of love it, it when we do the social media for this episode. It was just every great. time you had to draw something, you were just like, "Why can't my hands draw what my brain wants?" <laughs> I'm so bad at drawing, but you pretty much guessed everything that I did, even though they uh-huh. were all. You're very terrible. good at getting the point across. <laughs> I just can't draw it. <laughs> there's, there's effort there. I, I feel it. <laughs> So we mentioned in our last episode that we've now got a Patreon, mm-hmm. but because we're recording these two episodes like so close together, so the one that you will have heard a couple of weeks ago and now this one, we've recorded them with like two days between them, so we haven't actually launched the Patreon at this point in time, which yeah. is very confusing for you guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we're living in the distant past yeah. right now. <laughs> when y'all listening to this, the Patreon has been launched. but when For we're two talking, whole weeks. Yeah, but when we're talking about Four this, it weeks. hasn't. <laughs> Two whole weeks. A certain num- a certain amount of time has passed for you <laughs> since we've launched our Patreon. For us, we haven't launched it properly yet. So if you have pledged, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> we love you, and we'll be able to talk a bit more about what's going on with that in the episode after this uh, chapter nine. But for now, we yeah we want to say if you pledge, thank you so much. If you want to, you can patreon.com forward slash hdmpod, and we'll say that at the end of the episode too. And I'm very sorry for just confusing everyone. I think I just confused myself, but... <laughs> oh, me too. We're living in, the, in a weird, like, time warp situation. Yes. yes. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Last chapter, Lyra headed to the Fens with the Egyptians and learned she's been hunted by the Oblation Board. She met John Farr and Father Corum, who told her that her parents were Lord Asriel and Mrs. Coulter. What? In the OMG. Oh my god. Uh, Fardacorum gave us some more information on how the alethiometer works. In this chapter, Lyra gets comfortable in the fens and finds some other kids to hang around with. John Farr gathers money and men, not women, huh? Boo. Uh, to go north and tells a frustrated Lyra that she can't go with them. Again, mm. huh? I know, what the fuck? Um, and Lyra makes progress with the alethiometer. So, uh, we start with Lyra uh, thinking about her parents and adjusting to the news. Yeah, like we said last episode, you do not adjust to that news in just a day. No. And Lyra is discovering that right now. Yeah, <laughs> but then it's it does say it doesn't doesn't take a long 
Then she's, well, she's off. she is Lyra. <laughs> it's like her best mate goes missing and two minutes later she's like running around having a whale of a time with Mrs. Coulter. Yeah. Like things just, things don't, things just happen like near her. They don't happen to her. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a fair reading of Lyra. Um, yeah. And she, she's exploring the like friend town um, and she gathers like some new Egyptian kids. And I don't want to say that they're her friends because basically she just wants some kids to follow her around. She's like a little tiny cult leader. Yeah, right. (laughs) So that she can just like talk at them and for them to be amazed at what she's saying. That's what she wants really. Yeah, she just wants the attention. Definitely. (laughs) And she learns how to punt, right? And have you ever punted before? I have never done it. I've never punted. No. So I suppose I'll explain what it is just in case anyone doesn't know. But it's actually quite hard to explain what it is. So it's like you, there's a boat, like a little wooden boat thing, and then you stand at the back of it with like a big stick, and you. I like... imagine it like a Venetian gondola. Yeah, a bit like that. Yeah, but then not in Venice, <laughs> not yeah. fancy. <laughs> yeah, I did it in Cambridge, and I was absolutely dog shit at it. Because the fucking stick that you have to do it with is so heavy, and I've got very weak arms. Do you just literally push yourself along the bottom, or do, is there like a special swivelly? So, this like, is my thing. Is it an oar or is it a stick? It's a stick. Okay. I would have been good at it if you're pushing yourself off your, off the bottom of the like riverbed or wherever you're doing it, but you're not. It's just in the water. Like you're just moving it through the water. And how like, does that make you go if it's not got like right? a paddle? Is there's, it just really hard? <laughs> yes, there's a special like way to do it, and like once you've cracked it, you've cracked it. But I could not do it, oh. and I didn't. Eat, so in the boat, you to to do it really, you're supposed to stand at the back on the edge where it's really easy to fucking fall in. And I refuse to even do that. So I could move us in a circle, but I could not move us forward. <laughs> so I did not do very well. Brilliant. I didn't want to like, because lo- when I was there, it was summer. There was loads of people that were obviously at uni in Cambridge or they'd been lived in Cambridge forever. And I'd never done it. And I was like, I don't want to be the only person that falls in. So yeah. I was like, I'm just not even. Would you say that the place was absolutely full of puns? <laughs> oh my fucking God. Sorry. Uh, uh, if, if I had to be a pun at some point. Oh my god, I saw you cooking that one up. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, too proud of myself for these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she starts telling some tales to her new little uh, minions about her dad being a prisoner. And it's interesting that she's just absolutely milking that already. Like she's just literally just learned that, that he's a dad. And she only learned a couple of chapters ago that I'm he's in prison. I'm not sure how I'm, like, it makes me a little bit sad how quickly she's, like, clung to the fact that he's her dad, considering yeah. how I'd feel really betrayed if I found out someone that told me they were my uncle turned out to be my dad. Yeah. And that, like, somebody was, like, in my life keeping themselves at an arm's distance when they were blatantly my parent. Yeah. I think I'd be really upset. And she's completely, I don't know if it's just that, like, water off the duck's back, Lyra's really, like adjustable and re- like really adaptable mm. or that she's just so desperate to have that figure that the moment they appear she clings onto them but it's kind of like it's a little bit sad for her I think because this guy literally tried to break her arm the last time he saw her yeah it is sad I was wondering whether it's her way of trying to process things like we know that she loves to tell stories mm. is it a way of her getting around it like milling it over and mulling it over in her head and thinking more about it or is it that she is absolutely not processing it in any way and she's just locked it away in a little box but then brings out elements of it to impress other kids? Yeah. Or she's like 
I guess she's the more she tells it, the more she manages to fit it into because her I think she thinks of everything as a bit of a story, doesn't she? I guess yeah. she's trying to process where the different characters fit now because they've completely changed roles. Yeah. But like, damn, somebody get Lyra some therapy, please. Oh god, yeah, please. Absolutely. She Oh, bless her. She yeah. needs it. And then she tells like a big tale about the Turkish ambassador trying the to classic princess bride poison switching yeah. tale kind of thing, which yeah. is great. <laughs> which is interesting because this is basically almost what actually happened. Obviously it was the master. Like the whole poisoning thing was a thing that happened. She's just like embellished the story massively. Yeah. But it's like you've actually got like a true story that is absolutely like I think maybe it's because a lie is partly she's finding it more interesting to tell a lie than the truth, but mm. also it's a little bit safer to tell a lie than the truth. Yeah. Because she already knows that the root of the whole situation she's in is probably that poisoning, like mist poisoning. Yeah. Maybe it just feels safer to lie. I don't know. Maybe. She's got some good like material to draw from there for, for her lies, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy it. I had to Google whether it was a thing to like for like, if you're trying to catch a snake, if you like soak a sponge in honey, it's not a thing. I don't know where he got it from. That's I tried to Google it. Yeah. I couldn't find it. I just kept finding things about whether it was okay to put sponges in snake tanks. The consensus is we don't know. <laughs> she is super quick at, um, it kind of, when that little girl asks her like what she poisoned or what they poisoned yeah. her with, she's super quick at like coming up with something on the spot. So the gist of the tale is a Turkish ambassador was a guest at Jordan for dinner he tried to poison Asriel with like a secret classic spy poison <clears throat> ring. And a little girl's like, what sort of poison? It's like demanded a thin-faced girl who's like listening to the audiobook. She's like proper shrill little oh. like, what kind of poison, Lyra? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you're going to enjoy these voices I now that I'm listening it. to the audiobook. <laughs> and Lyra like proper quick off the bat is like, oh, it's a snake. Like, this is how you get the venom from the snake. And then talks about how, like, Asriel made everyone switch glasses as a sign of good faith and mm. trust between the group. And then the guy had to, like, drink the poison so as not to lose face. Great. <laughs> I enjoy the idea that it's a bunch of, like, stuffy men. And he's so, like, this person is just unwilling to admit that they did a bad to a point where they drink poison. They would literally <laughs> kill themselves. Yeah. I mean, he'd probably have been killed for having tried to do the poisoning in the first place. Maybe he's just like... Oh. I may as well just get it over yeah. with now. Yeah. And uh, Lyra really bloody loves telling how it actually happened. The thin-faced girl is like, how did you, know, how did you see it? Or whatever. And Lyra's like, oh, I wasn't there. But I seen his body as- afterwards when they laid him out. His skin was all withered like an old apple. And his eyes were staring out from his head. In fact, they had to push him back into the sockets. <laughs> and she's just like... You can see her like thinking it up as she's saying it. Like... Yeah. really enjoying it and also just want to call out that she says she conveniently didn't see the poisoning because girls aren't allowed at the high table ew boo boo ew just wanted to can't go past that without mentioning it but yeah like great description of the body love it I'm into it Lyra loves telling the gory story yeah. about as much as Tony Costa which <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> yeah um, we learn that the police are still searching houses and interrogating people who have claimed to see a little blonde girl and we find we find out that they're searching in Oxford as well mm. and that the colleges have issued like a protest to stop them from doing that so Lyra's pretty oblivious that people are searching for her apart from uh, like the noises of the airships above her um, she doesn't seem very scared but that must be so fucking scary. It's like, is it because she doesn't understand the magnitude of what's happening? A little bit, I think, because she's still very much a kid, isn't she? And like... Yeah, she's like, oh, 
there's those air fucking massive airships that are looking for me. I better hide. Like, yeah. and like fucking good spirits. Like, oh my God. It'd be terrifying. Yeah. I like the idea that the airships are still very high up because they can't get close to the fence. And I'm like, is that because of some kind of law or treaty with Egyptians? Or is it because of the like, what do they call them? Like the marsh fires, bog fires. Mm. Um, it says they, they can't fly too low over the fence. And yeah. It's like maybe it's because they're like gas blimps and oh, yeah. we know that they get a bit explodey maybe um i don't know but also they talk about how yeah they might be spying from above so lyra has to wear a sow sowwester which i uh did a little google of Mm. and it is this hat (gasps) oh my god it's like a classic little yellow fisherman's hat it's like the hat that the that georgie wears in in it yeah yeah it perfectly goes with the jacket and it's also like the saga graphic novels that i read there's a little character called goose who's like a little seal man it's really cute i'll show you a picture of him in a minute um, and he wears one of those as well this little like we'll post a picture hat. of the hat. hat but imagine the coat that georgie wears in it and then a hat that goes exactly with it mm-hmm. i think that in the book he might actually wear a hat like that that's cute mm. that's really cute uh one thing that i noticed on that bit the bit the bit straight after it mentions her coat is that it says that she's got bright distinctive hair yeah. Which is the first that we've heard of that. I always imagined... We, we've heard that she's got blonde hair before, but I've always imagined it being like a bit like dirty, like mousy blonde. I feel like when she was with Mrs. Coulter, when they went to the salon, they talked about her hair being coarse. But I guess in my head, I was like, I then kind of imagined her having more like mousy hair that's quite hard to tame. But maybe it is coarse and blonde. Yeah, it's... I just... I don't know. I, don't know. I just liked that she's got distinctive hair. Like, yeah. I just... I must have missed it the first time I read it. I not imagined her like that at all. So if she's got bright, distinctive hair, it must be legit, like, bright, white, blonde hair. Because how else would blonde hair be distinctive? Yeah, unless, like, naturally the Egyptians as a people, because of, like, wherever their roots are, like, they all kind of have, like, darker hair or they're more, like, darker-toned people. Maybe, yeah. It might be that blonde hair in that particular region is more unusual i don't know interesting Mm -hmm. yeah it's also just kind of odd to throw in that description of a main character eight chapters in yeah that like kind of changes how you think about her yeah Yeah. and then uh, she keeps asking more costa more and more details about her birth and what happened and there's a good metaphor here she says uh, she wove the details into a mental tapestry even clearer and sharper than the story she made up and lived over and over again the flight from the cottage the concealment in the closet the harsh voice challenge the clash of swords swords great god girl are you dreaming <laughs> that's what marcos just says yes. immediately after because she's like what are you making up lyra <laughs> I like a mental tapestry, clearer and sharper than the stories she made up. I enjoy that. Mm, it's a, nice it's a really nice description. And yeah, she's imagining the fight between um, Asriel and Ed Coulter. It says that Asriel shot Ed Coulter between the eyes and then fucking asked Mark Oster to mop it up. What a fucking right? dick. But also, I'm really here for Mark Oster being like, oh no, honey, it was not swords. There was two guns. This is how it went down. He dashed his brains out. Mm. Like, we know where Tony gets the gory stories from. It's his mum. She's bloody loving telling this. Yeah, she is. But also, yeah, Asriel seems like an absolute prick at this because he's murdered a man, taken his child off the woman that was protecting her. And then he's like, what, dancing around the room with Lyra and being like, mop that up, lady. La, 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 la. I've just murdered someone. What? And then he asks for wine. Yeah. What a fucking asshole. I fucking hate him. Like, <laughs> he can fucking do one. I Nasty don't want to see man. him. I don't want to see him again. 
I don't want to see him. All right, I'm done. I'm done with yeah, you. Yeah, it's a really odd image because it's you're going. We're painting him as someone that's just rescued his child, but also like he's just a bit of a prick, isn't he? And also a psychopath because, yeah. like you said, he's just killed a man. And he's, like, dancing around with Lyra next to this dead and, like, man. you could frame it as, like, oh, Lyra's crying. He's picking up the baby and trying to calm her and trying to distract her from this horrible thing that's happened. But he just doesn't read that way no, to me. No, it doesn't all. He it's... seems very pleased with himself. Yeah. He and... called for wine and bade me swab the floor. <sighs> so rude. <laughs> Ugh, God. I uh, enjoyed this little bit of a... By the end of the fourth repetition <laughs> of the story, Lyra was perfectly convinced that she did remember it and even volunteered details of the colour of Mrs. Coulter's coat and the cloaks and furs hanging in the closet. And it's like... Mrs. Coulter's coat? Yeah. Mr. Coulter's coat. Oh, oh. It does say Mr. I just read it wrong. Okay. <laughs> I was like, where's Mrs. Coulter in this like, bit? Why would... It's because I'm used to reading Mrs. Coulter because yeah. he shows up like once. And... I don't know if you've ever had that where there's like a family story of something that happened when you were a kid. You definitely don't remember it. Yeah. But it's repeated so much that you can kind of, you feel like you do remember it. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Memories are so fickle and so easily changed. There's loads of stuff that I remember from being a kid and being a teenager, which probably don't even fucking resemble what actually happened anymore mm. because so many people have like retold yeah, it and yeah and then you think differently in your head and you like you can embellish like as you get like older and stuff and yeah it's you can't remember every time you remember why did i read this or listen to this every time you remember something you're not remembering the original event. You're remembering the memory. Memory of like it. Like you're remembering yeah. the last time you recalled it. Like it changes a little bit every single yeah. time, which makes me really sad. Because then things, if you want to keep them perfect, maybe you shouldn't try to remember them. Mm. And then it's like, but I want to. But maybe I'm changing it. Why are brains so scary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In a way, if it's a good memory that you're embellishing to be better, mm. like and to keep improving on that memory, I suppose it's it's a good, could be a good thing. If everything was, like, so rooted in the reality of what it was, then everyone would be pretty, like, down. Do you know what I mean? But then also you... I find it really interesting because you think that your memory is really visual, Mm -hmm. like, as if you're replaying a movie in your head. But then it's really, really not because if you have to think too hard about any one of the details, you can't do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know what a bicycle looks like. If I asked you to just draw a bicycle without looking at one, I mean, you'd really (laughs) struggle. (laughs) But like most, they did an experiment, I can't remember, I'll look it up, but like they asked like a hundred people to draw a bicycle without looking at one, mm-hmm. and they look so fucking funny. Yeah. Like nobody can do it, because your memory is just really weird, like the way it connects stuff, like you know what the th- the concept is, but you don't necessarily mm-hmm. remember like the visuals. Mm-hmm. Which but- is why it's so funny that Lyra's like, I remember the colours of all the coats. <laughs> yeah, and what else is interesting, I think it's the same for when you're reading as well, I don't... I've always wondered if I'm the only person that does it. But when I read, I don't picture people with vivid faces. Everyone's mm. a bit blurred. Everyone, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't... If you'd asked me to describe what Lyra's face looked like in my head, I wouldn't really be able to tell you because I haven't really thought about her face before. Yeah. Unless unless somebody in the book is said to have, like, a distinctive nose or something like Snape in Harry Potter. Drink. Then <laughs> I... Everyone's a bit blurry to me. Yeah, I kind of get that. I think... I think when I'm reading people morph quite a lot, depending on how they're being described in the moment or their attitude in the moment. And I think of it, and you know, sometimes if you have a dream and you're talking to someone, nobody's actually, and you're like, oh, my mum was there, but it's definitely not your mum, it's some random person. But in your knowledge in your head in that time, in that moment of the dream is that is my mother or that is Faye Mm -hmm. or something. 
And then I think it's kind of similar when I'm reading of like, I know it's Lyra and it kind of doesn't matter what she looks like. Yeah. Because it's not relevant to the story or like half the time a book's inviting you to put yourself in the position of a lot of the characters. So Mm -hmm. sometimes when you're reading, it's almost you're putting yourself there. Yeah. And then the character looks a bit like you. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I imagine places in books really vividly, but the characters are very like interchangeable in my mind. But then if I saw the TV show and I was like, I could tell you if Daphne Keane was what I imagined Lyra to be like or not, even though I don't have a very specific picture of Lyra in my head. It's yeah. such a weird thing. Like, imagination is so strange. But, yeah, I've always thought that. And I don't know. If, I was like, is my imagination really lazy that I'm just not imagining people properly? But Because I've, I've had a few people say to me that one of the reasons why they don't like reading is because they don't feel like they can imagine the characters and the places properly in, them, in their mm-hmm. heads and it doesn't go in like how they want it to. Yeah, if anyone else has had any yeah, totally experiences. Tell us tell about us. how you how you read. I yeah. find it really interesting. Yeah, I might learn. Help. <laughs> Help me. It's very imagining blob people by myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Where were we? Okay, so yeah, we've just got past a bit where um Lyra's adding like colours of, of clothes and stuff to the story. And then we spend more time with Lyra she's uh, spending more time practicing uh, the, with the alethiometer mm-hmm. she's getting a bit cocky because she's thinking that she can work out the meanings all by herself uh, without the books I because Asriel's her dad hate this paragraph <laughs> weirdly I weirdly don't like it and whenever she was alone, Lyra took out the alethiometer and poured over it like a lover with a picture of the beloved, ew yeah and also, I don't like the repetition yeah. of lover and beloved. No, no. not a fan of that. So each image had several meanings, did it? Why shouldn't she work them out? Wasn't she Lord Asriel's daughter? I'll just work them out, shall Ew. I? <laughs> Basically, I don't, yeah. li- I don't like any of that no. paragraph. I don't like the description. It's a fucking pocket watch. Why is she looking at it like a lover? And also I she's 12. I don't appreciate that description. Yeah. <laughs> I know what the sentiment of the sentence is. I yeah. just hate the... Th- the way that it could it's have constructed. Been yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's very odd. And then, like, I just hate the way she's idolizing Asriel throughout this whole chapter. Like, I don't know if she's just in denial about the fact that she should be pissed off mm-hmm. at him for lying to her her whole life or what, but like, she's proper idolizing him and it's pissing me off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's not great. She's taking what um, Father Coram said and focusing on three random symbols and pointing the hands at them. Mm-hmm. And she's figured out that if she stares at it in a certain lazy way, she can make the long needle move more purposely from one picture to another. Sometimes it would pause at like a bunch of different symbols, like as it went round. She doesn't understand any of it, but she gets like a calm enjoyment from it. I get the impression that it's quite meditative. Yeah. And I really like that. And then there's a really lovely description. Pantalaemon would crouch over the dial, sometimes as a cat, sometimes as a mouse, swinging his head around after the needle. And once or twice, the two of them shared a glimpse of meaning that felt as if a shaft of sunlight had struck through the clouds to light up a majestic line of great hills in the distance, something far beyond and never suspected. And Lyra thrilled at those times, with the same deep thrill she felt all her life when hearing the word north. I, I like it. Yeah, that's a nice description. And it's good in a way it makes us, as the reader, finally think that there's something about the silesiometer. Like, we've heard yeah. so much about it. We've seen Lyra protecting it. We've listened as Father Coram told us how it worked really confusingly last chapter. Yeah. And now things are happening with it. And I like that progression. And she's starting to have little light bulb moments, which I yeah. like. 
Yeah. And definitely. it's we're finding maybe about that there's something special about Lyra because everyone so far that's spoken about the Alethea Armadura said you need books to read it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So after that, it's the night of the second wrapping. Mm-hmm. It's busier than last time. <laughs> I just wrote, then we get another massive John Farr speech. Basically, yeah. <laughs> like, this guy is going to get a fucking sore throat with all this fucking gabbing that he's doing. Basically. Let somebody else speak. Although, I think I put a note on one of the little bits where uh, they come out, the room's crammed, there's a big old, like, hubbub in the room. Mm-hmm. John Farr didn't have to make a sign for silence. He just put his great hands flat on the table and looked at the people below and the hubbub died. And all that made me think of was, like, my mum and my cousin and quite a few people I know, like, primary school teachers... And you know that moment when instead of shouting at the class, the teacher just gets really quiet. Yes. And just stands And the up. whole class is like, oh, fuck, we're in trouble. Yeah. It was kind of, the, in my head, it's that moment, but also that like so many teachers would kill for that power because <laughs> the worst thing is when a teacher tries to do that moment and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as a kid, that's quite like funny and exciting. But in that moment, as a grown up, you're probably like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just made me think of that. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, the heads of the families, they go up and give uh, John Farr the gold that they've managed to gather um, and tell him how many men are up for the trip uh, to the north to rescue the kids. Mm-hmm. And the co- we learn that the cost is a part of the Stefanski family. Yeah. Um, and Tony was one of the first to volunteer. But then it says that his hawk demon was uh, like shifting from foot to foot and spreading her wings. And then I was like, is that in a nervous way or in a braggy way? think you could read it i don't know more than one yeah. way yeah i wonder if it's kind of like apprehension and excitement yeah because like i can see if he's like we're gonna go we're gonna rescue my little brother but like i can see a part of him might be like oh this is gonna be really dangerous and i'm really scared yeah. and maybe she's that part of him mm-hmm. that has that feeling also i thought it was interesting because the first guy that stands up uh puts down a, like a big heavy bag of gold and offers 38 men and the stefanskis only offer up like 20 men or something mm. i just thought is that like a sign that maybe they're like a one of the smaller families in the in the of the egyptians maybe but also it's nice because john far is then like basically he says oh i'm really proud of what everyone's managed to muster and yeah. it's, i feel like maybe it's a community that's very like you give what you can give and we're not judging people yeah. on their donations yeah, yeah, yeah like we know that you've given as much as you can because yeah. everybody cares an equal amount and I like it. Yeah, it's yeah. done in a nice way. It's mm. not like a you have to do this. It's kind of like, what can everyone give? Rather than you have yeah. to give whatever. I can imagine if you were a family that was... Okay, I'm thinking Mulan here, like okay. Disney's Mulan, yeah. where it's like, you're a family and everyone's being... The like male of the family is being called to war or whatever because mm. of conscription. And you're going, well, the only guy in this family is already... He's already fought and he's injured and he would struggle in battle, but they're like, no, you have to go anyway. And that's why Mulan goes to fight for her dad. Mulan. Um, <laughs> but like, I can see if it was the Egyptians that were asking people to like do conscription, they'd be like, mm-hmm. no, 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 your family has done enough. Yeah. Like we would never ask more of you than you could give. Yeah. And I like, I don't, I don't know. It just made me think no, of that no. moment in Mulan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good. So they get 170 men all together um, and then... John Farr thanks everyone, says that they're going to charter a ship and head north to find the kids and set them free, and that it might involve some fighting. Um, Dirk Vries, a man, yeah. asks why they've captured the kids in the first place, 
Um, and he, uh, John Farr says that it's, it's a theological matter, but they actually still don't know. They basically said they don't know if any harm's coming to them wherever they are. Yeah. But they shouldn't have been taken and that's why they're getting them back. Exactly. Harm yeah. or no harm. Yeah. They shouldn't They've have been still taken. Been kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. We're going to rescue them no matter what. And then, and then my pal, fucking Raymond. I was like, oh, he's not going to pop up again. I'll do a funny voice. And now he's got a whole fucking speech. Are you going to do it? I could give it a go. <laughs> right. Before you do, why the fuck is he getting up after he had a fucking roast in last time? He's going to get he's another roast. He's about to get another roast in. Like, and he knows. He just knows it. He must know that he's about to get roasted because he's asking a very similar type of question again. Yeah, he just fucking hates Lyra by the sounds of it. <laughs> he really does. But like, again, in the audiobook, which I've listened to on the way here, he's got this odd accent and they've all got like a little bit of like a West Country Bristolian vibe to just some of the characters, even Lyra sometimes. Like, yeah. you ha- I have to get you to listen to Oh my God, it, can we play so it? Weird. I could try and find it. Shall we try it? See if it works. Will we get copyrighted? I don't think so. The one that's just sitting in the front row now. <laughs> I heard as all the folk living around the edge of the fence is having their houses turned upside down on her account. <laughs> I heard there's moving Parliament this very day to resend our ancient privileges on account of this child. Yes, friends. Right? Wow. <laughs> God. Okay. Well, that was fun. But yeah, so my accent was quite far off. In the last episode, I, I liked think. it though. But like, yeah, he proper like hams it up. As we heard, he asks basically, who the fuck is Lyra? Yeah, for um, us to be protecting yeah, her. Yeah, why they're protecting her. And then, in true form, John Farr delivers the fucking roasting of, of Garrett's life again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and basically just says, go on, Rich, read it. Now spell it out, Raymond. Don't be shy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. You want us to give this child up to them she's a fleeing from, is that right? <laughs> uh, I went really northern on it. You did, you did. I liked it though. I liked it. <laughs> uh, maybe this is going to be a recurring thing now of me attempting to do silly voices. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, in his roasting, um, he reminds uh, Raymond of all the things that Azrael's done for the Egyptians, which for me is the first time I've had any glimpse of respect for him. But also... Like, Raymond's literally just... I feel sorry for Raymond in this moment, right? He might have just been a bit of a dick. But basically, he's saying, why is... I think we have the right to know why this child is so important. Mm-hmm. He's not been told that Asriel's her dad. He might have... Like, maybe John Farr could have just been like, oh, her dad's Lord Asriel. And he'd be like, oh, that Asriel. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead, he gets the roasting <laughs> of his life, where he gets like, oh, hey, I'm going to educate you on all the good stuff that Asriel's done for the Egyptians. And it's like, well... It's really like doubling down and making him look like a prick and yeah. feel really ashamed. Well, Raymond's never going to fucking ask a question in a meeting again, is he? Let's face well, it. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's learned his lesson. <laughs> Truly. Oh, I just God. feel have like a glimpse of sympathy for Raymond in that moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Last one question. Then he sinks down in his seat. Um, everyone like hisses in disapproval at him. And I'm just like, just give it up, man. Just give it up. Yeah. But yeah, it turns out Asriel's actually done some good stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, have we got a list of what he's done? It were Lord Asriel who interceded with the Turk for the life of Sam Brookman. It were Lord Asriel who allowed Egyptian Burt's free passage on the canals through his property. It were Lord Asriel who defeated the watercourse bill in Parliament to our great and lasting benefit. And it were Lord Asriel who fought day and night in the floods of 53 and plunged headlong in the water twice to pull out young Rudd and Neil Koopman. So yeah, he's done some nice shit yeah. for the Egyptians. And he's like, you've forgotten that? Shame on you, shame, shame. shame. Yeah. <laughs> 
And that's what gets me. I'm just like, well, he, he might have already known some of that. He just yeah. needed to be like, oh, she's Asriel's kid. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, all right, cool, I'll sit down then. Oh, sorry. But he didn't know. get that chance, you know? Just got, just got a bloody roast in. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, yeah, Lyra feels the shame that he must be feeling, and but also pride in her father. And, like, I'll give her that one. Because, like, like I said, that's the first time that I've actually had any kind of fucking sliver of respect yeah. for Asriel. And it gives us more of a real clear idea of, like, Again, why the Egyptians are being so protective of Lyra yeah. and why Asriel was even in a position to ask Egyptian women to look after Lyra as a baby. Yeah. And uh, then John Foyle lists who will be in charge of what on the journey north. Mm-hmm. And they clearly have a system in place because he asks anyone if they object. So they've clearly, like, in Egyptian law or however they organise themselves, have written out, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. So even the money and the men thing, that's probably a thing that they've like listed out as well that says, in this situation, we will ask for, for men and money and we will uh, do it in a meeting and then we'll ask anyone if anyone objects. It seems like they've definitely got like a system in place for mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. Hell yes to this woman who stands up and asks if any women will be going. She says to look after the kids, which is a bit problematic because why can't the fucking men look after the kids? But... I think she's using that as a decoy reason because then she says, uh, what if they need women to be disguised as guards or nurses or something? Mm. And I'm like, I think she's using the looking after the kids as a reason for them to go. But then actually she's she wants to get involved in other yeah. stuff. Um, so yes to her. And then Far says that he hasn't thought about that, um, but will consider it. Yeah, I like these like gives everyone, he's giving everyone a fair hearing here. Yeah. He's going, no, we didn't think about bringing women. We said there wasn't space on the trip, but maybe we'll reconsider how we're distributing those like places kind yeah. of thing, which is nice. Yeah, and then somebody else stands up and asks if, if they plan to rescue Azrael while they're there. Um, and he says that if they can do something to help him, then they will, but he uh, won't use the men and money provided for anything else other than bringing the kids back. Which I like that. I'm only going to spend your money on what I've said it will. Yeah. If only the government could do that with my fucking taxes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be fucking nice. Yeah. And then another woman stands up, and yes to this woman too, because yes. she asks if they're going to take revenge on the gobblers, and she is fierce. Basically, she wants them fucked up. She's yeah. just like... Which I appreciate Yeah, a she's lot. like, are you just going to fuck them up? And I just... I want more of her. I like her. Yeah. Um, There's um, an interesting line of she's saying, we've heard rumours and stories of fearful things. We hear about children with no heads or about children cut in half and sewn together or things too awful to mention. And it's like, oh, that's another new one. It's like cut in half and stitched back together. And like the way that the rumours are spreading around is quite interesting. But also that she's hearing those rumours and she's not scared. She's just like, who are we going to fuck up for this? Who's getting (laughs) fucked up? Because somebody is. I like it. Yeah. Um, and then most people in the room agree with her. And then John Farr says that first and foremost, they're there to rescue the kids, not to punish the gobblers. Uh, like, if they aim to punish and that somehow gets in the way of rescuing the kids and they've failed what they said they were going to do. Yeah, which I'm there for. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, he then says that when the time comes to punish the gobblers, then they will. I put a sticky note on another description that I fucking hate. Go on, go for it. <laughs> he, so he's doing a nice bit of talking about how, like, we don't want to give in to the passion that we have for vengeance. Like, mm-hmm. whilst we want to put vengeance on these people, we can't do that because we can't jeopardise, like, if not getting the kids home yeah. for the sake of vengeance. But then he goes on a whole spiel about his hammer 
Oh my god. No, 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 god, I completely forgot. No, I go ahead, but lol, I fucking made a note about that as well. Okay, this really reminds me a bit in like The Walking Dead where somebody keeps referring to a baseball bat as Lucille and I fucking hate it and like he calls it her. But basically, all respect for John Farr fucking plummets out the fucking (laughs) bottom of the world because I hate it. Let me read this description. Oh, God, I hate it. Okay. My own hammer is thirsty for blood, friends. She ain't tasted blood since I slew the Tartar champion on the steps of Kazakhstan. She's been a hanging and... <laughs> I can't do it. She's been a hanging in my boat and dreaming, but she can smell blood in the wind from the north. She spoke to me last night and she told me of her thirst. And I said, soon, girl, soon. Oh, Margaret, God. you can worry about a hundred things, but don't worry about that. John Farr's heart. Uh, don't worry that John Farr... I can't even get fucking through it. I'm like hiding uh, in my t-shirt. I fucking hate it so much. Basically, that's the, that he stops talking about it as a woman at that point, but... Uh, it's vile. My, fucking hate it. My note was just absolute fucking lols at John Farr talking to his hammer. Calm down, mate. Like, <laughs> Jesus. What the fuck? Uh something about I can't I can't even describe it it's just so fucking dickish a a man describing something that he uses to kill people with as she a man describing something that he he controls as she that is a tool yeah Yeah. so it's all this shit in it about like men when they they call like cars or boats or machinery she it's because they can control it and it's fucking vile however having said that since having watched way too much Queer Eye, I keep personifying objects without meaning oh, to. Oh, God. I and say I'm like, all the time. Th- oh, like, this book's really cute. She's doing this. Or, like, he's doing this. But, but I then- see that as an extension of myself onto yeah. whatever ob- object I'm doing. And also, we're not men doing it. I mean, that's true. Um, but, yeah. I, yeah, I really, really do not like the description. I hate the description of it as thirsty. Yeah. I hate, like, oh, this this sword or this hammer is thirsty for blood. No, you want to kill someone with it. You want to do violence. Your sword isn't thirsty for anything. Mm -hmm. It's not asked you to chop someone's head off. Also... It's a really weird sexualised extension mm. of violence that I am not okay with because it does come off as weirdly sexual. Yeah, it does. Just to go back to what you were saying about calling stuff she from like watching Queer Eye and stuff, I think there is a difference because... It has been a long historical thing that men call like cars and birds and shit she because they can control them. That's the whole point of them doing it. Mm. Whereas for us, I see it more as being a bit more of a thing within like the LGBTQ community. It's very in line with, with that. For us, it's like we're not calling it something because we know we can control it. An object is not behaving in any way. Because yes. it is an object. But, like, if something has happened, like, my computer's, like, messing up or something, and I just be like, she's not on my side today. It's a way of, like, giving something inanimate a little bit of personality yeah. in a way that is an extension of you just, this is how I feel about this thing. Yeah. Um, I, I always refer to my avocado plant as he. <laughs> He's really struggling at the moment, by the way. <laughs> oh, no. He is looking really sad. But this is the thing, like, I know it's an avocado plant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like most of the plants are mm. in some way personified and like I do tend to give them feelings. But I think that's just a different, it's a very different thing. I'm like, I'm putting feelings onto an object to trying, describe how yeah. I feel about it. Not I am calling an object this because of the power relationship that I have with it. Yeah, exactly. It gives it like an emotional 
sense as well. It's like yeah. if I'm for me, if I'm pissed off at something like you were saying about your computer and I call it shit, it just makes it all a bit lighter and a bit funner. It's a weird one and I don't know if we explained it well, but if anyone wants to talk further about it, please let us know. Yeah. Um but yeah, I do not like it when men or anyone, I suppose, calls something that they can control as she, but they're and they're doing it for that specific reason as well. Yeah. I also specifically for me it's the thing of it being a a weapon as well Mm. and it's really gross because it takes the responsibility for the actions off of the man that's doing it that was a big that was a really big i don't know if it made any sense i feel like i know what i mean in my head i'm finding it difficult today to articulate it we'd love to discuss this further if you are grossed out by or endeared by people putting pronouns onto objects to give them personalities tell us in which context you kind of find it okay and not okay because yeah. yeah it's a really hard line to pin down mm. what feels gross and what feels cute yeah exactly okay well moving past moving john Farr's weird relationship with his hammer yes <laughs> nobody else uh, else asks any more questions yeah because it? he's just talked about how much he yeah. bloody loves like, his hammer anyone else got any questions everyone's like no you're all right <laughs> man yeah. i'll pass i'm just gonna go <laughs> I'm just gonna go and like curl up in the fetal <laughs> position and cry while while I think about the fact that our leader is somebody that's hammers. That's pl- I can't, oh, mate. I can't. I mean, oh, maybe Maggie. that's why he's in charge yeah. with such quiet authority because everyone's like, he's literally a psychopath. <laughs> oh god. <sighs> right. So yeah, nobody asks any more questions. Um, and then they go off. And the meeting ends, and they go off to the parley room. And Lyra is sad that they haven't asked her to join them in the room this time because she went last yeah, time. Yeah, she's not included anymore. Yeah, and then Tony laughs at her and says that she's like done her part now. Um, and then Lyra says that well, she hasn't actually done anything apart from running away from Miss Coulter. Yeah, and that she wants to go null. And Tony tells her that he'll bring her back a walrus tooth, which is a fucking callback. To Azrael being very patronising as well in the second chapter um, and telling her that he was going to bring her back a walrus tusk. Yeah. Interesting. They've chosen to call back to that so soon. Yeah. And in a very much a situation of Lyra can't go north. For some reason, the consolation prize is consistently a walrus tooth. Yeah. <laughs> well, a, yeah. Like, why is that a thing? I don't know. Also, it's a difference between a walrus tooth and a tusk, right? Oh, yeah, maybe the, the, the teeth are the short ones and the tusk are the long yeah, ones. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But, like, why is it consistently walrus-related? Maybe that's just all there is in the north. Yeah. Loads of walruses <laughs> and the occasional polar bear. <laughs> but, yeah, um, it would Tony Costa being patronising. Yeah, and it must be really frustrating for Lyra to have heard that for the second time in as many months. Yeah. Like... Lyra scowls and Pan pulls monkey faces at Tony's demon, who absolutely does not have time for that shit. I love it. She just closes her eyes in disdain, like, yeah, all right. Yeah. I'm done with you. I like his sassy demon. She seems to have a character that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, And then Lyra hangs out with her in air quotes, friends, and terrorises some fishes. Yeah, they like hang lanterns above the, yeah. the above the water to attract the fish to the light, and then they poke them in the eyes. It's like, can they ever just play nice? Like, whenever you hear about the kids playing in this book, they're always doing something horrible to it's someone like or something. Yeah. yeah, Very violent. If Roger was with her, she wouldn't be poking those fish. Aww. She'd be nursing some sick fish back yeah, to health. Right? Like that yeah. crow they found that she wanted to kill, and he was like, let's rescue it. Oh, Roger. She keeps thinking about the parley room 
and heads back to the Zal. And she just marches right up to the door and knocks yeah, on it. I love it. I thought it was going to be an eavesdropping moment. Yeah, me like too. The initial sentence kind of suggests that that's where it's going. She's yeah. going to listen outside and find out. But no, she is Lyra. She goes and she knocks on the door confidently. Yeah. And then like marches in and pleads her case. Yeah. And I really like it. Me too, yeah. She she kind of like pitches herself to the room, doesn't she? She's yeah. like, this is why I should be allowed to it's come very north. very grown up. Yeah. Like she can navigate... And take readings from the Aurora. And then I put in brackets, she's learned how to say it now. Oh, bless. She has. Um, Basically, she wants to use all the skills that Mrs. Colt has taught her. She uh, takes a leaf out of that badass woman's book from earlier and says that they might need kids as well. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. She's learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love this speech. My only thing that I wish she didn't do, which is something I need to learn to do in my life, is at the end of it, she's come in, she's pled her case, and then she goes, sorry for interrupting you, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do that all the time. Come on. I always, oh, sorry to bother you. Yeah. Oh, never mind if it's a lot of trouble, though. Please don't do this thing that I actually need you to do. If it's it's too much trouble. I am the fucking queen of doing that. I've tried, like... Sorry to be an imposition. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're saying sorry before you've even got anything to apologise for. Yeah. I just ask what ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> I try I'm trying to stop doing that. It's yeah. hard. It really is. Yeah. I really struggle with it. I don't want it's that thing, isn't it? I've got I think I've spoken about this before, but I've got this incessant need for people to like me. So I do anything in my power for them to like me, but it's like actually it's probably quite annoying. Like, people just yeah. want you to get to the point yeah. rather than being like, sorry for disturbing you. It's like, just say what you want to say and then you're disturbing me less. Yeah. So, when you're, especially if you're like emailing someone or it's like a business situation and it's literally just a transaction of information. Yeah. Why have you been like, hope you're having a nice day. Sorry to bother you. Yeah. I hope you had a lovely weekend. La 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 la. Please can you send me this document? Yeah. 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 Hope you're not too busy and that I'm not being too much of an interruption. <laughs> and you're just like, what? Just say, please, just can you send me this document? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I completely agree. I need to get but that. Yeah, Lyra, we feel you. Yeah, I have this problem too. Yeah. I really liked that. All the while she's giving this speech, she's carrying like wildcat pan in her arms. I, so wildcat pan is my new favorite. She stood there with him, like in her arms, and I think it's really cute that she's giving this big speech and she's just got wild like pan there, like oh. <laughs> he. I love that they keep describing him when he's a wildcat as like just hissing softly at yeah. the room and like I really love it partly because at the moment the old lady that lives downstairs from us has a cat that sits in the window that fucking hates me <laughs> and every time I go up I kind of like I'm like oh kind of like wave at the cat because I'm a weird cat person but I, I do that and I kind of like it's a really pretty cat it's weirdly like perfectly like it's a perfectly white cat He's got like an ever so oh, tiny Oh, I've seen this smudge. cat. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that cat. But like, yeah. if you stop to look at the cat for too long or smile at the cat or make too much eye contact with the cat, he kind of just goes, oh God. <laughs> like proper like hisses at you. But because he's behind a window, it's silent. So whenever I'm picturing <laughs> Wildcat Pan like silently hissing, quietly hissing, I'm picturing downstairs cat. <laughs> downstairs cat. Yeah. <laughs> Who hates, hates me. Oh. I think that cat just hates people in general. Yeah, I feel kind of bad for the lady that has him well, maybe as a pet. they like the owner but hates everyone else yeah he, he was even doing it because that cat has been from like being a tiny kitten in that flat like last christmas mm. so like he's just hated people his whole life oh great <laughs> great relatable yeah um, <laughs> even as a kitten was like proper like <laughs> <laughs> oh god um so then yeah obviously she pitches to go north and then john far tells her she can't go 
And she tries again by saying that she's learning to read the Elysiometer and that they might need that. So she's very persistent. Mm. Somebody tells me no, depending on who it is, I'm just like, okay. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm so sorry to bother you. Bye. <laughs> and he still says no and then says that he doesn't think that Mrs. Coulter was planning to take her either. And I'm like, kick her while she's fucking down. Right? Like, you didn't need to say that. You just say no again. Um, and then Pan hisses at him. But then John Farr's demon like flies at them in a non-threatening way. Which I'm finding it difficult to imagine if a massive yeah. fucking bird just flies at you. How is it not threateningly, but as a reminder of good manners? I'm like, well, is it good manners for a bird to fucking fly at me? Like, maybe it's like a demon thing that we don't yeah. get. I don't know. Because I guess how else is a bird supposed to remind you of your manners? Tell you. I mean, I guess they can talk. Can't they? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> um. Yeah. So then they leave, and then Lyra tells Pan that they will go. Um. Let them try and stop us. And then it's the end. Yeah. It was a really short she chapter. She will not be refused. She will not. And that, yeah, yeah, it's a super short chapter, actually. I think I needed that short chapter, yeah. though, after last chapter. Yeah, the last one was difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, short chapter, it's, like, filled again with a lot of, like, John Barr's long speeches, which I can sometimes just do without. I think when I first read these books, I found these couple of chapters difficult to get through. Because mm-hmm. although you're learning the new information, it's quite hard when it's all said by one person to, like... It's a lot of speeches. Yeah. I, I like I've just re- I've basically just written on my notes that what I've just said and I've told John Farr to just shut up, man, which was <laughs> clearly a mood that I was in yesterday. Yeah. I yeah. My being like, Oh, John Farr seems nice is just immediately plummeted at the moment he referred to his hair as a she mm. get out. It's an odd little chapter because mm. you get information, you get purpose, like so last chapter we had Lyra like making her way to the fence. We've not moved location. Like a lot of other chapters, Lyra's started somewhere and finished somewhere yeah, else yeah, entirely. Yeah, that's true. Whereas now she's just kind of I guess that's why it's called frustration, right? Because we're not moving anywhere. Yeah. She's the situation is frustrating and it's kind of a frustrating chapter to read mm-hmm. because we want our protagonist to move forward and be involved with what's going on and have yeah. agency. And she's just being told, you can't do this stuff. Here's this big plan that's going to happen. Here's this exciting adventure and you can't go. Yeah. Soz. Soz. It does mean that it sets us up for whatever's going to happen next. We know that there's going to be some kind of conflict with Lyra and John Farr and mm. whoever else that she needs to fight with to get what she wants, if she gets it all. But yeah, what's the next chapter called? Tell me. Tell you. The Tell next me. chapter is called The Spies. Oh. Oh. How exciting. Oh. Well, before we say bye-bye, have you got an award to give out? I do. My award is for Vengeance Lady. Oh, so is mine. And oh. I don't have a backup, so we're both just going to have <laughs> Maybe the same I'll... one. Okay, my backup award was for... Can we come too, please, lady? Oh, yeah. <laughs> With her, like, ingenious methods of getting onto the trip. Well, in fairness, mine... We might just have to consolidate our awards this week because mine was uh, the Badass Bitches Award to both of them. Oh, um, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got two award givers and two award receivers. We'll just have to break the trophy in half. Yes, yeah. I just said um, award to the woman who asked, like, John Farr about taking women and then special mention to the one who was hell-bent on getting revenge. Nice. Love it. Nice. Yeah. Ladies in the room, we see you. Oh, we do. We always do.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can also email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash HDMPod. And you can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find us. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, I'm probably writing. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust and how much I hate hammers, <laughs> I'm making designer toys, art and illustrations. You can find me on Instagram at Rachmakes on Twitter at Rach underscore makes and over on my online shop rachmakes.co.uk A huge thank you to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and for help with navigating the scary tech stuff We'll see you in two weeks time and don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well Bye! 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 Don't dream about hammers.